Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond, and welcome to our special Pulse Check series on the coronavirus outbreak and the Trump administration's healthcare response. Today, I'm in conversation with my colleagues, Adam Kankren on the Politico Health team with me, and Jeremy Siegel, who hosts our terrific daily Dispatch podcast. We're looking at a new Inspector General report that confirms reporting that Adam and I did last year about controversy in the health department and why it's relevant to today's fight against the pandemic. Here's our conversation. Do you guys ever feel like the health department is a soap opera with a really weird premise? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think the name for it would be? General Hospital uh, Administrators. <laughs> I mean, we do have a main character in HHS Secretary Alex Azar who did grow a mysterious beard. He did. <laughs> what will his facial hair look like next season? <laughs> After we're done with this reporting thing, Dan and I are going to write a screenplay and this will be the uh, this will be the first rejected idea. <laughs> Well, um, to to get into some of the drama in uh, the most recent season, or I guess the past season, back in 2019, you two both did a series of bombshell reports about a top health official that's now very relevant today. Going back to 2019, what did you uncover and how did you uncover it? What Adam and I found across 2019 was that a senior official named Seema Verma who's in charge of Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, a $1 trillion agency, one of the president's top health deputies, was steering money toward a series of contracts run by Republican-connected consultants, and including one of Seema Verma's former deputies before going into government. Those contracts were used to message Seema Verma's communications, working on everything from her tweets to networking opportunities. And they ran afoul of what one would expect a top official to be using communications contracts for. Adam and I came at the story in different ways. I, I had heard that the communications function at the Federal Health Department, specifically in Seema Verma's team, had been largely outsourced to contractors, which was unusual. And it became more and more unusual as the months passed. But Adam got a different tip and, and came at the story from a slightly different angle. It kind of came out of a, a casual conversation that I had had one morning with a good source who, you know, every once in a while would fill me in on things going on inside the Trump administration's health department. And we were catching up and toward the tail end of the conversation, this person just kind of mentioned offhand that there had been some of this classic office drama over people getting left out of meetings, having their feelings hurt, other meetings being commandeered by these kind of outside people who had come in, these contractors who had essentially taken over a lot of the agency's communication strategy, and in particular, strategy that dealt with Seema Verma and boosting her public profile and writing her speeches. That was kind of a just a, a random meeting and, and thing that kind of piqued my interest, and I brought it back to Dan. From there, I think we kind of took what we had both heard separately and combined it. And in talking with a range of people inside and outside the building, we're kind of able to piece together this portrait of how Seema Verma was bringing in people from the outside and then using them with taxpayer money to substitute them in as high-level government officials. 
So now today, months later, the health department's inspector general, their watchdog, is out with a new report that follows up on the investigation you two did. Adam, what did the inspector general find and how does it add up with your reporting? Well, the inspector general found essentially what we found last year. And that is an extensive pattern of Verma treating these outside contractors, again, as if they were high-level government officials in even mundane things like approving uh, tweets, approving the administrator's tweets. People may say, well, you know, who cares if they're a contractor or if they're a government employee? It matters for a couple of reasons. One, accountability purposes. We have a handle on, you know, who government officials and employees are. They're held to certain standards and transparency. And then secondly, it matters from, you know, just a sheer dollars and cents perspective. One of the things that we got at, but I think this Inspector General report really hammers home, is just the sheer amount of taxpayer funds that were put toward this trio of contracts, over $6 million spent on these contracts that were essentially used as cover to bring in people who um, Verma liked and who she wanted to work with rather than working directly or dealing with the career officials already in the building who could have carried out a lot of these tasks uh, at a lower price to the taxpayer. I'm curious for both of you, I mean, having spent a year investigating SEMA Verma, now seeing essentially the government's version of your investigation, what's the most interesting part of this report to you? I'll start with you, Adam. It's really interesting to see the federal contracting process just laid out plainly. Um, even for you know, for us who spent months and months in this kind of opaque world of of how do you go about you know pitching yourself to the government and then going and working for the government in this weird contract capacity, it's really hard to figure out, and it's a hard world to untangle. And you really you know it took us months to feel like we were even partway understanding how this all this all works. Yeah, there, there's a very simple infographic on one page that shows in the span of 30 seconds, what probably took us 30 days to try and figure out who signed off on what with a federal contract. Yeah. And and the second thing is related. I mean, it, it also details just how confusing these contracts got, right? So you had overlapping contracts. Uh, you had people and subcontractors jumping from one to the other, uh, getting paid in all these different ways. One of the major findings of this IG report is that on several occasions, CMS could not say definitively whether they had paid a contractor twice for performing the same single task, right? So there's one case in September 2017 where one contractor invoiced for work for about $86,000, a second contract invoiced for over $100,000, and when the IG went back and reviewed the two, CMS could not clearly say that both of those pots of money had not gone toward paying the same subcontractor for doing the exact same thing. So even inside the building, there was just this mass confusion over where this money was going and what these contractors were doing. Dan, what stuck out to you in the report? I might point to a few of the emails that are excerpted. There was an exchange in August 2017 that the inspector general references where one of Seema Verma's contractors is instructing staff that he needs to be one of the guys signing off on the tweets that are going out from the agency. And one official essentially turns to the other and says, is this legal? And the other one writes back, I've been wondering that too. It's, it's that kind of color that's 
interesting and illuminating after months of coming at this from the outside to see how people within the building were reacting in real time to some of the oddities of leaning on these Republican communications consultants. This all comes back to the use of taxpayer dollars for consultants. Adam, do we know why she even hired these consultants in the first place? Is that something that you've uncovered in your reporting? Well, I, I think that's been uh, one of the animating questions for the last year and a half. And and it depends on who you ask. So, you know, if you talk to her defenders and her, her allies, one of the main points that they will make almost, almost every single time is that especially early on, that she felt like she just didn't have the talent and the people around her to carry out what was, you know, a really kind of ambitious agenda. And you know, she wanted to do a lot of these different and big things, putting work requirements uh, on Medicaid for the first time ever, as an example. She wanted to be a part of these major overhauls, uh, repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act that required a lot on the strategic communications end. One of the other compelling explanations I've gotten, and it's kind of one of the, the consistencies across the administration, is that especially early on, there was a lot of really, really deep distrust in the so-called deep state and these career employees and how they were going to handle the Trump administration coming in and kind of shaking up the place. That distrust, that paranoia kind of drove her to sideline a lot of the people who may have been capable, may have been talented and, and were willing to kind of work on her agenda, but were just never given given the chance. Um, so a lot of it comes down to, look, you know, what her ambitions were, uh, whether she felt like she had the people, but also a feeling of needing to be needing to be surrounded by people she felt like had the same worldview, had the same conservative principles, had the same goals as she did, and would also work to make her the highest profile official that she could be in this position. There's a speech he gave in the summer of 2018 that I think about. Ideas like Medicare for all would only serve to hurt and divert focus from seniors. All the while Seema Verma went to San Francisco, went to the heart of Democratic support for progressive ideas, and debuted a new attack line from the Trump administration that Medicare for all would become Medicare for none. That's the kind of speech and attack line that career civil servants don't work on. But it is what you get when you hire a team of Republican communications consultants, which he did, and who worked on that speech. So that's what Seema Verma was going for and getting from these outside experts. And that's the kind of attitude and approach that has made so many health leaders so worried about how the Trump administration is overseeing the U.S. health system. So this is all a year or more than a year ago. I mean, right now we are in the middle of a historic pandemic. You and I talk about this almost every week, Dan. I'm wondering, like, why should we care about this right now when coronavirus is happening all around us? Well, I, I think Seema Verma would argue that we shouldn't care about this right now. <laughs> uh, in her formal response to the inspector general, Jeremy, which is included in the report, she attacks the timing and says it should not be coming during the pandemic, that it's taking energy away from fighting the virus. She also says that the report mischaracterizes facts, gets some details wrong. She has an extensive rebuttal. But this report, to me and Adam, I, I think matters for a few key reasons. First, 
entering the pandemic. What was the situation inside the government's health department? And it was an unsettled situation. Seema Verma is one of the two most important officials, along with Health Secretary Alex Azar, who's nominally her boss. But the two of them pushed back and forth over who might be communicating messages to the American public, who had influence within the White House. And the thinking from Alex Azar's people was that Seema Verma had retained this whole team of communications consultants because she was trying to elevate her profile and go around the health secretary in ways that were unprecedented and inappropriate. I also think that this helps explain some of the bad blood. After Politico's reporting, which first appeared in March of 2019, so essentially almost a year and a half ago, Seema Verma did not leave office. Uh, she, she survived the investigation, and there were significant battles behind the scenes between her and Alex Azar and some of their proxies over who would be steering the health department. So entering the pandemic this year, Verma and Azar's tough relationship absolutely contributed to a more fragmented response as coronavirus began to unfold. It was only after a few months of Alex Azar being in charge of the White House task force that he was replaced by Mike Pence and Seema Verma, who is a close Pence ally, was brought on board in the beginning of March as a new member of the coronavirus task force. I, I also think this report is helpful because it shows some of the dysfunction inside the Trump administration in a very clear and transparent way. As journalists, we can do our best in reporting out these stories, but sometimes it feels like we're groping around a room in the dark, trying to put pieces of a puzzle together. This is coming from inside the house. The, the lights are on. And this kind of report really shows what life is like inside the Trump administration's health department and how even small issues can balloon into crises that shake the administration. Yeah, to Dan's point real quick, I mean, this to me strikes me as a microcosm of how the Trump administration has run for the past three and a half years. And by that, I mean, what really emerges here is you have a principal in Seema Verma who is comfortable and only wants essentially to keep decision-making, keep strategizing among a small group of trusted allies, trusted confidants, right? In lieu of a lot of the available career government officials, you know, a building that in an agency that employs thousands of people, a lot of those who are held over from the prior administration. And I feel like we keep seeing this pop up again and again in that decision-making and strategizing is centralized among a small group of people, whether it's in CMS or HHS or in the White House. And the tension there, the decisions that are made in those small groups and then kind of broadcasted out to the outer rings, really kind of allows you to see how the decision-making happens, how the strategizing happens, how we arrive at a philosophy and a way of running these massive agencies that is far different than I think we have seen in many of the most recent other administrations. Well, Adam, is this something that's still playing out in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic? Is Seema Verma doing a good job of helping lead the nation's fight against the pandemic? Or are we seeing these same issues that played out last year playing out again during the pandemic? Well, it's been interesting. You know, 
early on, there was a lot of tension and, and, and frankly, there probably still is, you know, tension between HHS and CMS. One of the kind of peculiarities is that while CMS nominally is part of, you know, the Health and Human Services Department, it has a trillion dollar budget. It oversees regulation for pretty much the entire U.S. healthcare system. So in, in a lot of ways, it kind of can operate and has the power to operate independent of HHS. So there are still those dynamics there. Are they as pronounced as they were last year and especially late last year? No, because there are honestly, I think, a lot bigger issues. And if you look at what's gone on at HHS, a lot of that focus has been looking up toward the White House has been more dealing with the White House. So some of these fights that were just kind of knocked down, drag out at the end of last year have, I think, appropriately maybe paled in comparison to the the size of the challenge that we're facing now in the pandemic and in just kind of everything that's happening every day. But there still is this kind of strategy of relying on, you know, small clusters of advisors, of trying to figure out who can we trust, who can we not trust, that has kind of driven a lot of the decision-making throughout this whole period. Dan, how would you assess Verma's handling of the pandemic so far? When Verma was first added to the White House task force, she immediately made moves that the healthcare industry was thrilled to see. She worked to expand the use of telehealth, telemedicine, which during a pandemic that keeps us all in our houses, I think that was the right move and much appreciated. She worked to unveil loans and funding to hospitals, doctors, providers who might need support to stay in business. And especially coming after the bumpy few weeks where Alex Azar was in charge, I, I would argue, I, I think, Adam, would you agree with this? That was probably the high moment for Seema Verma in terms of how the health industry viewed her. They, they saw her after years of fighting over things like Medicaid. This was a moment where Seema Verma was seen as really delivering things that they wanted. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. But I, I do think, Jeremy, as the weeks and months have passed, some of the same kinds of questions that centered on Seema Verma around how is she funding the providers who take care of low-income patients. Seema Verma has been a big critic of, of Medicaid. And throughout this coronavirus crisis, healthcare facilities that focus on Medicaid patients have complained that Verma and her team have not done a good job of supporting them, that they've been at the back of the line for getting government handouts. There continue to be questions, too, around how Verma has made decisions over nursing homes and other part of her portfolio. And just a few days ago, Bob Barr, a former Republican congressman, wrote a scathing piece in the Daily Caller, a conservative outlet, where he said that Verma was the biggest problem with the Trump administration's coronavirus response. I'm not sure I'd go there, but there, there is a constant effort with this administration to find scapegoats. Alex Azar has been often a big scapegoat. CDC and its director, Robert Redfield, has been targeted a lot as a big problem during the coronavirus pandemic. Seema Verma has escaped a lot of that, but it's interesting to note that rising at the same time as a new inspector general report comes out that raises questions about years of her decisions. With these criticisms, with this report, where do you think that does leave Seema Verma? I mean, let's say the president gets reelected. There's a second term of the Trump administration. What happens to her? <laughs> In the Trump administration, you can never say die. There are officials who have had more than nine lives. Seema Verma, when this investigation broke last year, there was some speculation that 
this could be a reason for her to leave the administration. She stayed on. Adam and I and one of our former colleagues, Rachna Pradhan, reported extensively at the end of 2019 about Seema Verma's fight with Azar and how that had expanded beyond these contracts. For instance, she had made a controversial claim for stolen jewelry. There was some thought at the end of 2019 that Verma would be pushed out or resign under all the pressure. That was months ago. She's still here. So anyone who wants to preemptively write off a top Trump official during the Trump administration needs to look at the track record of Trump officials who have survived controversy after controversy. But I do think Seema Verma's path is is cloudier than it was even a few days ago. First, there are other contenders who might want to take over a senior role in the health department. Deborah Burks, the White House coronavirus coordinator, has really seen her star rise. And she's someone who's talked about as potentially a second-term HHS secretary under President Trump. And now there is this report that will accompany Seema Verma if she has to go through another confirmation hearing and a report that really faults her and her decisions and how she spent taxpayer money. All right, that's our show for this week. I'm Dan Diamond, and my thanks to my colleagues Adam Kankren and Jeremy Siegel for joining me on this episode. Our producers are Annie Reese and Jeremy Siegel. Jenny Ament is our senior producer, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. You can subscribe to Politico Pulse Check on your favorite podcast app, and there is an easy way for you to help us. Leave a rating or review. That will help new listeners discover the show. You can follow Politico's coverage of the coronavirus in the Politico Nightly newsletter, which comes out every evening, or Politico Pulse in the morning, which Adam and I co-author. And we have a new Politico newsletter. It's called Future Pulse that we just launched. Future Pulse looks at the rapidly changing world of healthcare and technology and investigates the collision between innovation, regulation, and privacy issues. If you want Future Pulse, you can sign up at politico.com slash newsletters. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, and we'll be back with you again next week.